Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another great week here on the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had a conversation with Jeannie Gaffigan this week. Jeannie is a writer, producer, mom of five children, and wife of comedian Jim Gaffigan. A few years ago, her world was absolutely rocked when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor that needed immediate surgery. Jeannie shares her story of faith and family in her book, When Life Gives You Pairs, The Healing Power of Family, Faith, and Funny People. On this week's episode, Jeannie and I discuss how her faith in God helped her through her brain surgery and her recovery and how it can help us all through the challenging times we are facing. Jeannie shares how a city squirrel in her Manhattan apartment taught her a valuable lesson about life and why humor helps us keep things in perspective. Jeannie also shares what she learned about motherhood and marriage through her ordeal and why gratitude is a key part of her daily life. So now won't you please join me in my conversation with Jeannie Gaffigan. Jeannie, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for having me. You know, it, it's interesting times we find ourselves in. As, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, as a father myself of six kids, I, I know the challenges that these stay-at-home orders and, and kind of quarantine have been for our family. Now, you and Jim, you have five children, and you guys live in New York City, which is the epicenter of the outbreak here in the U.S. So I just want to check in. How, how are you and Jim and the family doing? Well, you know, we are, um, you know, taking it day by day. Um, I have the, the blessing, really, of being in really close contact with some um, medical staff on the front lines in one of the ICUs here. So it really helped me put my frustrations and challenges of being um, under the um, shelter at home orders in perspective. So every time I want to complain about, um, you know, basically running a diner all day, (laughs) I'm just finishing cleaning up breakfast and people want lunch. And then I'm (laughs) being support for, you know, five zoom meetings and that, you know, we did, we didn't homeschool. So when the kids went to school, that's when I, um, did the work. So I have the same experience that's going on with a lot of, um, parents who are sheltered at home with, um, even with smaller families, I've, I've connected with a lot of people who are having the same kind of challenges where, um, you know, your work continues, you are, you know, constantly, um, rescheduling and trying to make do with the new, um, you know, cancellations of all the events. Um, in addition to, you know, I'm operating, um, a couple of charities right now. I'm supporting other organizations who are in a crisis Mm -hmm. and I'm also, um, managing the homeschooling, which is new for me. And I am also, um, trying to cook and clean all day (laughs) in launch. So it's like, I know I can handle all three jobs, but it's not like one job ends and the next job starts. And it's just simultaneously that's a real challenge for me. So, um, you know, many times during the day, I find myself getting impatient with my kids, getting impatient with my husband, getting impatient with, um, you know, just in general with um, work and communicating with others. And then 
I'm reminded of what actually is happening right now mm. that is a absolutely uh, unprecedented uh, amount of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And to add um, insult to injury, the suffering that is happening right now is unique in that um, when people are deathly ill or dying, they cannot be their family. Mm -hmm. And the people that they're experiencing in the ICU are covered from head to toe in protective gear. So it's not like they're even making eye contact or having, uh, you know, personal interactions. Right. Um, and so um, that is a reminder to me of the gratitude and the positive things that are happening um, in my life, in uh, other people's families, and in the world, really. And I think that um, also as a Christian, one of the things that we should wake up every morning and do is express our gratitude. Mm -hmm. Because no matter how bad things seem, it could be so much worse. And, um, you know, I think that my experience and, and what I wrote about in my memoir, When Life Gives You Pears, is that when these things happen to us in our lives that are um, would normally cause someone to despair, we have to remember there's a bigger picture. Mm. There's a bigger picture to this suffering that we're going through right now. There's something in the plan that we might not be able to see right now. But if we can just trust God and trust that this experience is helping us grow in some way as not only individuals, but as a, uh, a city, as a country, as a world, if we can look at that, at, if we can try to find the gratitude in this crisis, we're going to get through it. And we're going to come out better. And that's what my, my, my microcosm of, uh, you know, in my own world, that's my brain tumor. My, I, I uh, went through this in a very small way before. Mm. And now if like life gave the world a big pair. You know, when life gives you pear, it's like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Right, right. So that's, that's a play on words that I use when I got the pear-sized brain tumor. When life gives you pears, what are you going to do, right? Are you going to just say, why me, God, why? Right. Why not some other guy, right? Or are we going to say, okay, why did this happen? What can I do to get through it? And how can I improve my faith, my relationships, my, my life, my spirituality, my soul? How am I being purified by this suffering? And I think that we have to remember, especially it always happens. This my brain tumor situation in 2017 happened during Holy Week. Mm. I I really feel that there is a message that we all could take right now. This is the highest. This is the 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 biggest part of our faith right, right now. Right, right. Now, so why is this happening right now? Why are we experiencing this as a, a human race on this entire planet? No one is exempt from this. What's happening? What can we take from this? So that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, you know, Jeannie, it's 
uh, as as you referenced um, your your diagnosis and your your brain tumor, understand that, and, and you share this in your book, when life gives you pears, that it was almost like these miraculous type events that even helped helped you even discover that you had this brain tumor, and then it, it was. Um, to such a degree that you had to have it operated on right away. And I can't imagine, you know, sitting here uh, thinking through is receiving news like that. So how, how did you initially respond to that diagnosis? I mean, it was surreal. I mean, it's like the, when, when you have a paranoid thought about something like, you know, I think we've all gone through those periods of time where we've had some medical thing happen to us and mm-hmm. all, immediately think it's like cancer or something horrible right or see something on our child and immediately jump to that conclusion and then of course there's someone in the back of your head where you're like well obviously it can't be this so i was faced with a situation where i thought i had a hearing problem maybe my my uh you know eardrum was damaged right mm-hmm. and but there was also a part of me that was like, well, maybe my ears just clogged or something. You know, there, there was also like there was a, a bad thing, like maybe I'm going deaf. And then there was a uh, another part of me that was like, you know, maybe it's just nothing. Right. Right. And so when I had the MRI and I found out I had a giant mass in my brain, it was just surreal. Like I didn't really I didn't really grasp it. Mm. And then when, um, you know, I chronicle this whole journey in my book, but when it was confirmed that it was a brain tumor and that I needed to get to the hospital right away, I just jumped into fight mode. I just went right into it. And there was something about my faith that has carried me through the most difficult times in my life that was there for me. And I can't imagine what it would be like for someone who didn't have faith. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what this situation in the world would, what, how would someone process what's going on right now? It's traumatic. Really? If you, if you don't have that bigger picture and I, I tell a story that, uh, and this is also answering your question about how I felt at that moment, um, uh, of, of saying like, okay, this, this is going on. Obviously there's a reason for it. Let's deal with it right now. Head on. Let's go. Um, there is something, a story that I tell that is, uh, a very, uh, tiny little example, little tiny parable of what this situation can how I handled it. Um, I don't want to say fastidious, but I don't like, uh, you know, dirty houses or anything that would, you know, compromise health, Mm -hmm. such as if I see a bug or a rodent, it's like the end of the world, right? (laughs) This is like the end of the world. I cannot rest or concentrate on anything else until we get rid of this situation, which is um, something about me that is not uh, great, right? So we all, we identify parts of ourselves that are not exactly, you know, we're, we're kind of not having faith. We're not having patience. We're not having peace, right? Right. So these are little tiny things that are about me that are not 
um, perfect, right? So anyway, um, at some point we were, you know, I don't know if we were watering the window boxes. I, I live in an apartment in New York City. And somehow, like a squirrel or a chipmunk or some sort of large rodent <laughs> came into my uh, apartment, much to the delight of my five children. Yeah. <laughs> this really, I mean, because we're not in the country, okay? Right. So this thing has been crawling through God knows what, right? And is running all over my house, going into cracks and crevices and disappearing for like an hour. And all I'm thinking is, it's spreading disease all over my house. It's the end of the world. I'm ca- I'm calling the exterminator in the in New York, and they all are. You know, two weeks from tomorrow, we'll call you back. And my kids are all laughing. Where's the chipmunk? Where's the chipmunk? You know, they think Alvin and the chipmunks are in our house. <laughs> and I am absolutely, you know, a crazy woman. I am like everyone. Wash your hands. Every, you know, I am not peaceful. I am like a, a crazy maniac monster woman. And um, essentially, of um, I would say, I don't know, maybe half a day later, the chipmunk m- makes its appearance again, or the squirrel or whatever it was. The, you know, the large, dirty rodent. <laughs> not a rat, but it has a big bushy tail and it's running around my house. Makes an appearance and somehow... We all chase it into a bathroom. It winds up in a bathroom. My husband is like, get a box, get a box. And we find, uh, you know, an empty box. And he's like, a bigger box, a bigger box, you know. And we, and so Jim gets a broom and sweeps this thing into the box. I don't know how he did it (laughs) because it was like fast, you know. Gets in the box. Everyone is laughing and screaming and running around. He boxes it up. He, uh, we all run down the stairs of our apartment building. We run out on the street. He opens the box and the, uh, rodent runs free and probably gets run over by a semi truck like two seconds later, but (laughs) he set it free. And now, and also, by the way, there's a video of this. I think I posted on Instagram. It's in, in, it's crazy or it's on my YouTube channel. Um, because I mean, it's all like distorted the video. It's just a lot of screaming, (laughs) but it's like, when I look back on this moment, it's this wonderful moment where we all work together as a family. And we look back on this moment with, uh, of this, this, this squirrel thing with just like such delight and such joy and such bonding. And it's like, if, if when you're experiencing the crazy trauma, if you can look ahead and look at the big picture and say, you know what, someday I am going to understand why I'm going through this right now. I know it seems like kind of a silly story to illustrate something, but it's just something that that has become very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. When I'm in the middle of some kind of awful crisis, I look to God and I say, God, I don't know why this is happening right now, but I trust Mm. someday I am going to understand how this was a valuable experience for me and my family. And I'm going to grow from it and I'm going to grow closer to you and I'm going to grow in love. 
And so that's the way that I have started to live my life. And when this came up, it was, you know, just as uh, horrific as it is for anyone else. And I don't know what's going on in the rest of the country, but at this point, it's now friends. Mm. It's now people we know that are in ICUs. There are traumatic stories of running out of equipment. There are... Um, you, there is such a uh, amount of suffering going on right now, um, and I feel really connected to those people in the ICU because, as you know, if you've read my book, the ICU for me was very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just the fact that I couldn't eat or uh, drink or enjoy the comforts of being a human being. It was that I couldn't see my children and I couldn't experience touch Mm. like people weren't touching me unless they were like sticking a needle in my arm or something. Right. And I really understood in a way, and obviously I am not comparing myself to Christ at all, but all of a sudden it hit me that when, when, when Jesus was suffering on the cross Mm. and his mother was looking up at him Mm. on that cross there was also, I, I'm sure that he wanted a hug. He wanted a touch. He wanted right. contact. And so there's also deprivation and suffering in not being able to have that human interaction that we so desperately need. Right. And we it allows us to really rely only on God. And I can only pray that God touches the hearts of these people that are in the ICU because I had family around me. I could see people, mm-hmm. see the doctors, even if I couldn't move or talk, I could see eyes. I knew what was going on. I, these people who are suffering right now in the ICUs all over the country and the world are not allowed to see their family. No one can come near them. Right. The doctors, and nurses and medical staff that are coming in and out are head to toe covered. So it's just, I am praying and I invite all of you to pray for not only an end to this awful pandemic and a cure. And I ask everyone to pray that God can touch the hearts of the people who are suffering and give the strength to the people who are right there witnessing this horrible suffering. It's got to be traumatic on both sides. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that, that you sh- that you shared that because in your book, you do describe this, you know, agonizing, prolonged time that you spent in ICU yourself. And as you mentioned, the uh, one of the big things was that you couldn't see your your kids. You know, you couldn't couldn't be with your kids during that time. Did did that time um, that you were in the ICU, did it change your experience of motherhood? Oh, absolutely. It absolutely did because it's a, I was getting caught up before in the drudgery of motherhood, mm, right? Right. The, I wasn't experiencing the joys of motherhood. And I think that, in that I don't think this is only a female thing. I think that men, uh, you know, fathers yeah. can experience this thing too. Where you get so much in a grind of getting things done or being a good father or being a good mother conceptually, but you're not really taking the time to smell your kids' heads. 
mm-hmm. and remembering the joy of motherhood. And I think that I would love it if people didn't have to be deprived of it before they could appreciate that. Mm, that's good. So I, I'm hoping that when people um, either read my book or listen to this podcast or whatever, they just take a moment today to, you know, really experience joy, even when you are cleaning up someone wet the bed, right? Right. Yeah. It's be like, I can't believe on top of everything else, somebody <laughs> wet the bed, right? Which is how we normally, at least I, I normally operate yeah. without without my my spirituality yeah you know it so you're obviously married to jim who happens to be a, a funny man and as you're telling the story of the the squirrel roaming through your house or anything i i was just chuckling to myself because i could only imagine that scene um in your home can you talk to us a little bit about what role that um humor has played um in your family during uh difficult times like during during your entire uh, going through the process with your brain tumor and your recovery, how how has humor played into your family? Well, I'm also very blessed that I am, you know, married to like one of the funniest guys in the world, yeah. and I have, you know, kids that are funny. <laughs> um, and I really, you know, write about this is that in order to process a lot of grief, God gives us humor. He gives us the ability to look at things in the bigger picture. So I think that the squirrel story is also tied to humor, right? Mm-hmm. So you're able to go there. Now, obviously, there was nothing funny about when I got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And there's nothing funny about a coronavirus pandemic, right? Right. right. There are certain things that are happening. And there's certain things that, in retrospect especially, that I look back, and that's why I had to write on it because it was, uh, you know, it was my way of dealing with the trauma. Is talking about how really ironically funny it is to be in an MRI. Uh, there's just, I mean, it's like it's so torturous. So some of these medical tests are like worse than the problem, you know. Right. Um. So it's not really like haha funny, but it's like a way to process things. And I think that we've always from the smaller things, uh, such as, um, you know, we were on a road trip at one point, um, early on and we totaled a car. And, uh, while we were waiting for the tow truck, Jim started doing this character and at first I was like, how can you be doing this joke? <laughs> We're stuck in the middle of the like Southwest with no, you know, idea if the insurance is going to, you know, but at, at a certain point it touched me that he was helping me deal with the crisis through humor. Hmm. And it got me in touch with a way uh, through. So prayer, of course, because sometimes, you know, things aren't funny. Like people die. It's not funny. Right. And then prayer is the way to understand the bigger picture. But in a lot of other situations, humor is a way to understand the bigger picture. So, for instance, even though there might be nothing funny that's going on in the ICU right now in at Mount Sinai Hospital, like just you know down the road, there is something funny about all of us being stuck at home, mm-hmm. right? 
Right. So one of the um, things that we we've done during this time, and I, I don't, I can't believe that we're still doing it, but it sounds seems like something that people are really responding to. So now we have to. But right away, Jim put our family dinner on his YouTube channel, <laughs> Dinner with the Gaffigans. Right. So now we got such a response from the fact that people, you know, people are, they, they need an outlet, right? Right. They just, they're crazy families interacting with each other. And so now I think we've done 25 straight days of dinner with the Gaffigan. So every night at six o'clock at Eastern time on Jim's YouTube channel, you can have dinner with the Gaffigan. <laughs> invite you to sit down and have somebody to eat with us. Um, now there's another element where we're raising money for, uh, you know, food pantries and uh, other uh, uh, things that have been devastated by the coronavirus in New York, such as the lack of, um, you know, ability to take breaks uh, for the medical staff. Mm -hmm. We've been sending now PPE. Uh, we've been uh, enriching some of the uh, local food pantries that have dried up. Um, for volunteers and donations. And so we've made it this whole interactive thing where, you know, my kids will do charades after dinner and people in the YouTube will comment, give suggestions to my kids and then they'll secretly look at it and act out the, it's become this whole really wonderful, funny thing right. happened out of this terrible uh, crisis. And, you know, um, I talk about this in my book too, um, that's now, but, but when I was going through my recovery, it was really brutal. I was on a feeding tube. I had no, nothing by mouth for months and I had to eat out of a feeding tube and it was really horrible. Cause it was mm. like they, uh, they, in the, when I got discharged from the hospital, they took out the nasal, uh, gastric feeding tube that goes up your nose, down your stomach. And they inserted in my actual abdomen a, a hose oh man pump food through and it was just like not like eating but it was like to live and i was just mortified i was like this is just horrible and jim made this whole bit about it <laughs> he made this show on his youtube channel um called feeding frenzy where he would uh show everyone how he would mix the formula and shake it up like you know, a cocktail and uh, use the syringe to, I mean, it, it is so funny and you wouldn't believe the outpouring of gratitude that we got from a lot of people in like the dysphagia community and people who were like, thank you for normalizing this. I live this way. Wow. And so it's like this kind of funny, like dinner show, cooking show. And so we've always had a way of trying to turn things around to help cope with it, whether it's our for to help ourselves cope or to help other people cope right. on a level. And if you know, if God gave us this gift of creativity and humor, it's not just to be hidden for ourselves; it's to be shared with the world because it's family friendly and it's you know right. we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And Jeannie, I love I love what you mentioned there because finding the the humor in challenging situations 
like you said, it's not just to help you guys get through it, but as you shared, others who are struggling with with similar um, difficulties or challenges in life, it helps them get through it as well. It allows them to kind of look at the brighter side of, you know, often difficult things. And and that's just kind of the beauty of of not only our faith can be inspiring, but as you said, you know, the opportunity to, to in, interject some humor can also be in, inspiring and encouraging to people. One of the things in, in the book that, that you have this really funny line about how your younger self could have been voted, and this is this is the quote, least likely to marry a comedian who sucked all the air out of my spotlight and have five kids with him. And in, in your writing, you allude to having to kind of adjust to being a wife and a mom and kind of feeling somewhat jealous of Jim at times. He was traveling a lot. He was, he was you know, involved in a lot of things. But when you were in ICU, you shared that you had this clarity about how well you and Jim worked together and how you really wanted to be able to do more of that. Can you talk to us a bit about what you've learned from these years of collaborating with your husband? Um, I've learned a big lesson about dying to myself. And I talk to a lot of people about, um, and humility and gratitude. And I talk to a lot of people like, uh, I mean, only married men can understand this concept, but I talk a lot about, um, the wedding dress concept. So when you're a kid, or a teenager and you and you uh, fantasize about your wedding and you eventually get uh, engaged and you think about your wedding dress, you have this picture of what your wedding dress is going to look like. And if you force yourself to stay with that picture, you're going to look ridiculous 90% of the time because <laughs> you might think that you want to look like Cinderella or you, you're picturing a dress that is your idea of what your perfect dress is. And then, you know, you hear the story about you put the dress on and it's like the one and you're like, whoa, I never would have tried that dress on before. And I, um, and you know, I just really think about my, my vision of what my adult life was going to look like, like the wedding dress. Like I had this whole idea of what, you know, what kind of career I wanted to have and what kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, husband I wanted to have, what kind of, I, I had it all mapped out. My will be done. Right. right. And I think that when you are open to the Lord's plan, it's going to make your life a lot easier because if you're constantly fighting with what your vision of what your will is, you're going to be miserable mm. because, you know, I'm not saying sit in your room and say, okay, God, uh, we're just waiting, waiting for you to tell me what to do now. I'm just saying that as you go along, there's going to be, you have to pray for the discernment to say yes to the things that God is asking you and giving you and to say no to yourself. That's that. Yeah. That's, that's such an important lesson to learn. And, as you are, you know, living your life, uh, you and Jim, you you work quite a bit together. Um, and you're a writer, and you help help with um, his specials, his comedy specials, and those types of things. You've even acted. Um, I know you're in some of the episodes of My Boys, which was one of my wife Monica and I's favorite shows, by the way. Um, but you guys working together, talk to me a little bit about 
um, husband and wife. How have you guys grown together over the years? And what advice would you give um, young people who are just kind of starting out in in married life? What advice would you give that that you and Jim have learned over the years? I would. We have a very unique situation that's not necessarily universal because it's we are very blessed that we work together. Right. And I really feel like um, I don't know if I would have the same experience if I had a completely different career than my husband, because at a certain point you, we realized that we had to work together or we would never see each other. And we couldn't really build, uh, you know, a bond, a family. We mm-hmm. would go apart. And, but for the, um, in, in general though, I have the same communication issues as every other couple in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so one piece of advice I could give to, to those out there who are starting out is don't get divorced. That's my advice. <laughs> There's a million reasons to get divorced. There's a million reasons to get divorced. Right. So just, but what if you did, what if you had to work it out? Mm. What if you looked at your marriage as a covenant? Right. And that, you know, things don't always go your way. And you have to learn how to give and take and collaborate with somebody else. Because although, you know, the two shall become one, it's one with two different brains and two (laughs) different strong wills. So you have to remember that every hurdle, there's a way with love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness You have to go into your marriage with love and forgiveness at the forefront of your agenda. Yeah, that's good. One of the things that you you wrote about as well were um, both spiritual warriors and scientific warriors. This was during your your, um, brain tumor incident. Can you talk to us a little bit about the spiritual warriors who helped you through this this time? And and I believe one of them was your, your mother, correct? Yeah, my mother definitely. My my mother was the one who sowed the seeds of faith in me. Mm. And not to disparage my dad at all, but my mother was the one who always talked about God being part of everything. God was behind everything. And I think that even when I went through a rebellious period where I didn't really go to church right. um, in, because I'd rather sleep in on Sunday morning when I was in college and nobody was telling me what to do, <laughs> I always, you know, I never was like there. I never went through that, is there a God thing? Never. I don't know. And I really think credit my mother with that because even when I wasn't like, uh, you know, you know, giving back to God at all. Um, I really feel like he was always there and I always feel like I had a connection where I would, you know, uh, have a dialogue, a conversation, maybe not enough gratitude, not maybe not enough, you know, formal prayer, but I always felt God's presence in my life. And I credit my mom with that. Um, also my, um, I'm glad you brought this up because the biggest spiritual warrior for me in my, um, my diagnosis was um my uh i call her my aunt marita but she's actually my mom's first cousin but because of her age she was like a second grandmother to me 
That's what there was like, you know, one of those big Irish Catholic families where the oldest is like 20 years older than the youngest. Right. <laughs> so she was my, the age of, uh, of my grandmother. So, um, she was the one who had a life that was filled with, from the outside, filled with tragedy. Mm. So many sicknesses, deaths, lost her parents as a little girl. There were so many things that happened to her and she had the strongest faith and the best attitude and was a leader in prayer mm. and would, and had the, had the strongest faith. So when, when you would have something that seemed like it was insurmountable, you would just tell her, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I don't know, you know, why God is doing this to me or whatever. And she'd say, oh, have faith, have faith. The Lord is holding you in the palm of his hand. You know, she was one of those people that had this effect on, her name was Marita Haggerty, and she just passed away. And now she's advocating in heaven for all of us. Mm. Um, and she was the because I couldn't call my mom at the beginning because I didn't know what was going to happen. So being a mother myself, I know that anything happens to one of my kids. It's going to be really, really hard. On me. Right. So I went, I, you know, in my book, I joke about how, you know, if you're a doctor, you don't deliver your spouse's baby. Right. right. Too much. <laughs> so I didn't go to my mom initially for the prayers because it was more like a pray that the this isn't going to kill me. I don't know what it is. I'm waiting for the results. Mm, right. Right. And so it was the way that she had such absolute faith in God. And I am so grateful that I had someone like that in my life and not someone who was just like, uh, well, you know, you never know, or, you know, just someone yeah. who was not, not, uh, uh, putting God in, in the in the forefront of the situation. Yeah, what a gift. What a gift that is. Jeannie, it's been such a pleasure um, spending time with you and hearing your story and how, how your faith has kind of carried you through and, and how it's a, such a part of your, your family's life. I was curious, are there any final thoughts that you might want to leave uh, with our listeners before we, before we stop our conversation? You know, I just want to tell everyone that your experience right now is meaningful in some way in your life and no matter how bad it is or what you're going through what you had to cancel how sick you are how close you are to someone who is suffering right now no matter what is happening right now that seems insurmountable and and painful there is a bigger reason for it and I would just ask everyone to read about the passion mm. of Christ right now, right. this week, and see what God is trying to tell you. What is God trying to tell you about this thing that you're suffering in your life? What is he trying to form in you? And in my youth group, I'm the leader of a youth group, and I've, I've started a, 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 an interfaith youth group um, as well. I'm leader of a Catholic youth post-confirmation teen youth group, and I'm also part of a larger organization, the interfaith, all you know, different faiths. Cool. 
Um, it's called the Imagine Society. You can check us out at theimaginesociety.org. Right now we're doing like three virtual volunteer uh, jobs that people can sign up for if they uh, go to theimaginesociety.org and, um, you know, go ahead and, and email me or look at our service page and see where you want to fit in. But one of the things that is um, happening right now is that the um, the kids have to understand that this is an unprecedented historical moment in time. And we are being led to do something. We don't know what it is yet. So every week I ask for everyone to talk about their thorn, their rose, and their bud. What is the painful thing right now? What is the beauty that you can find in it? And what is the promise mm-hmm. future? What is the bud? What could bloom out of this? And where do I fit into this big picture? And that's what I'd like to leave people with. That is so good, Jeannie. So good. Beautiful stuff. I want to encourage everyone to check out Jeannie's book, When Life Gives You Pears. And we will have links to the book and to uh, your YouTube channel so people can jump in to dinner with you guys and uh, the organizations that you shared as well in the show notes. So, Jeannie, such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for sharing your story of faith. Super encouraging. Great insights um, for all of us in a time where we really need to focus on uh, the hope that's offered to us through Christ. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.